Time for the top 10 takeaways is now. Now is top 10 takeaway time. Takeaway number one from week four. Old players have almost no place in today's NFL. It's shocking. It's shocking to see how dusty even a 30-year-old wide receiver looks. I think 30 is the new 34 at wide receiver. And 26 is the new 30. Think about it. T.Y. Hilton, dust. A.J. Green, dust. We knew Larry Fitzgerald was dust. I mean, we knew that. But I did not know that we would be getting uh, such underwhelming performances from not just A.J. Green, not just T.Y. Hilton, but also, think about it, Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones, top 10 in the NFL in routes run, but just 19 targets, right? So he has close to 150 total routes, only 19 targets. That's a 12.8% target rate on playerprofiler.com. To put this in context, a 12.8% target rate is even lower than Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald and his 22 receiving yards per game, right? I mean, which old players have exceeded expectations this year? I can think of three. It's Tom Brady, Adrian Peterson, and Adam Thielen, and only one of them is helping you win a fantasy championship, and that's Adam Thielen. He's the only one helping you win fantasy championships. Adrian Peterson's not useful. Tom Brady doesn't have the Konami code. He's putting up some big weeks and great matchups, but Tom Brady's not going to be the reason why you win a fantasy championship. Adam Thielen could be one of the reasons why. I mean, Adam Thielen is one of, if not the best, top 40 wide receiver. There's a handful of top 40 wide receivers that have actually performed well. Most of them have been epic busts. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Like, oh, well, you were drafting all this Marvin Jones. True. I do have a significant percentage of my best ball portfolios uh, on underdog have Marvin Jones, but that was specifically because on underdog in tournaments, I was aggressively stacking on top of Matthew Stafford. So it was Stafford with Galladay, because you could always get Galladay in the late second round, and then Jones, and then Hawkinson, and then, in some cases, even Swift. So you could triple or quad stack, depending on if you could get Swift, depending on where you were drafting your draft slot. You could almost always guarantee yourself a Kenny Galladay, a Marvin Jones, and a TJ Hawkinson, and a Matthew Stafford. So it's one of the most attainable triple or quad stacks on the best ball tournaments that underdog fantasy was running and underdog fantasy just incredible you need to go there now underdogfantasy.com or go to the app store google play type in underdog fantasy get the app and you can quickly snake draft a daily fantasy team it's it's amazing like instead of just figuring out salary and thinking about ownership because everybody's playing the same players you can instead compete against say 11 others in a one-week fantasy game it's an actual one-week fantasy game i know that DraftKings and FanDuel call theirs a one-week fantasy it's really not right but what what underdog has is actually a one-week fantasy game it's a real draft where you have unique players on your team unique from the other 11 league mates 
and the drafts happen just boom, boom, boom. Drafts are happening all the time throughout the week, and they're just boom, 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 boom. It's it's a great way to to kill 20 minutes and have a lot of fun, and you might make some money. So Underdog Fantasy, promo code Underworld, check it out. Best ball during the summer, and then in-season DFS during the football season. <laughs> I'm always on Underdog. But we weren't necessarily super bullish on Marvin Jones. I mean, looking at our draft kit cheat sheet, we had Marvin Jones slotted in below Jamison Crowder. So it's not like we were banging the drum for Marvin Jones. We were not during the summer, but it just so happened that in a particular strategy of structural drafting and aggressive stacking in best ball tournaments, it made a lot of sense to get a lot of Marvin Jones because Marvin Jones has been highly volatile during his career and he's delivered boom weeks a lot. Like when you think of Marvin Jones, you think super volatile boom bust weekly receiver. And he hasn't, he's just been busting. It's just been, it's not, no boom. It's no boom, just bust. That's Marvin Jones this year. And I didn't see that coming. I did, I just didn't see every NFL skill position player age 30 or older, other than Thielen and Peterson, completely missing expectation. I mean, think about A.J. Green. A.J. Green was top in unrealized air yards coming into week four. He was number two in total air yards. And you think, well, he's number two in total air yards. And, you know, these unrealized air yards, a lot of these have to do with the fact that his catchable target rate has been low. Burrow's only been throwing seven out of 10 passes toward A.J. Green that are catchable. But then you dig deeper and you follow me on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. I tweeted the snaps and routes for week three. And I was shocked in a five quarter game against the Eagles. T. Higgins ran more routes on more snaps than A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd. And here's T. Higgins again outproducing A.J. Green. And so at some point, Zach Taylor's thinking, are we getting more out of T. Higgins than we are A.J. Green? And it's crazy because A.J. Green's only 32, but you just never know when these lower body injuries will finally toll. And the bell rings and it's over. All these hamstring injuries for T.Y. Hilton. Uh, a litany of lower body injuries, including hamstring injuries and ankle injuries and knee injuries for A.J. Green. And same with running backs, right? Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. These were the older running backs that were well past the A.J. Pecks that we thought could operate in true uh, bell cow capacities. And, and, and David Johnson has been healthy and has been operating as a bell cow and still underwhelming. And now Duke Johnson has returned. And now Duke Johnson is the one uh, running the routes and commanding more targets. So you saw the route participation rate decline this week for David Johnson. The targets declined. And now what is he? Right now he was teed up in a smash spot and he didn't deliver in week four with Duke Johnson returning. <laughs> right? If, if, if Duke Johnson just waited one more week, maybe, maybe, maybe. But it's it's interesting how these older players, they look, they look good in week one, right? A.J. Green looked good. It was just unlucky in week one, right? David Johnson looked good, and then as these weeks tick by, their bodies they they just they deteriorate right in front of us. Just in a matter of weeks, they're just they're, it's like wet paper mache. It's like falling apart in your hands. It used to be that a 32 year old wide receiver could still deliver. Brandon Marshall, Andre Johnson, but no, no, no. We're seeing a lot more wide receivers flame out at age 30, a la Dwayne Bow, the Dwayne Bow career path. Very, very, very few receivers are following this Larry Fitzgerald career path, and, and, and he's so far down the path that they just need to say, hey, 
listen, love you, Larry. You're a great guy, but it's time. Because I think it's only a matter of time before Andy Isabella breaks out. And that's my observation number two. Takeaway from week four, Andy Isabella is going to happen. He ran 19 routes in week four as the number four receiver, not number three, number four, still commanding close to 20 routes. So that he is just demanding that they put him on the field. And what was telling to me was that even though Keyshawn Johnson ran more routes in week three, he ran zero in week four and Isabella ran just 10 fewer than Christian Kirk. So the team is slowly acclimating Andy Isabella into a starting role. I mean, it's happening incrementally that it's just, it's, but it's one thing to get targets and score some touchdowns in a game where Christian Kirk doesn't play and DeAndre Hopkins gets hurt. Okay. Right. But with Hopkins in the game and Kirk and Fitzgerald all playing, Heavy snaps. They found creative ways to also get Christian Kirk involved, and that, to me, was telling and an important takeaway. You need to stash Andy Isabella. Unfortunately, he scored two touchdowns the previous week, and he was stashed by a lot of seasonal leaguers six days ago. But here's the beauty of it. Because he didn't produce last week and Christian Kirk came back and did not suffer a setback, you'll see Isabella dropped across a lot of fantasy leagues, go get him. Go get him and stash him. You might have missed him last week, but you will get a second chance to roster and stash Andy Isabella. Takeaway number three, I was wrong about Mike Davis. I was I, I was dead wrong about Mike Davis. It's now three straight games, three straight games with five or more targets. So he's done it, right? And he ran more routes last week than Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is the victim of the touch squeeze. We knew that heading into the season, it was Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Ian Thomas and Curtis Samuel. Five receivers is too many. You're asking for a touch squeeze, and who's it going to be? Is it going to be Thomas? Is it going to be Anderson? Is it going to be Samuel? One of these guys is going to get squeezed out. It's actually based on the route participation rates. Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is running less routes than even Ian Thomas. So he's the one getting squeezed out, and it's reflected in the box score, in the fantasy scoring. He's going to be dropped, and I'm not in a hurry to pick him up in seasonal leagues, and it's a shame. It's a shame. I also believe that DJ Moore is not yet a bust. I know that many believe he is a bust. I'm not there yet. I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm not there yet, and... I believe DJ Moore is an exquisite talent. I'm just not there yet. And I don't have a analytical reason why you should continue to maintain faith in DJ Moore, continue to start him. I'm going to keep starting him. I'm gonna, I, I know that he's not producing, and I know that Robbie Anderson is out-targeting him and out-producing him, but they're running the same number of routes. They're both entrenched starters in two receiver sets. They're out there. And I believe that four games is not a large enough sample to know what you have in a wide receiver. I'm not convinced that Robbie Anderson is the true number one and that now DJ Moore has been relegated to number two. I, it's, it's not, I, I don't think that Robbie Anderson is as good as he's looked thus far, and I don't think DJ Moore is as bad as he's looked. And I think that they will converge over the course of a season, that their production will be similar, but it will not be this entrenched hierarchy where you have 
Robbie Anderson in this number one wide receiver chair, and then DJ Moore in this number two wide receiver chair. I think that they're going to converge, and that is going to be great for everyone that drafted Robbie Anderson in the double-digit rounds, and it's going to be bad for DJ Moore drafters who got him in round three. So that that's that's true. Like He is likely going to disappoint this season, but I'm not in a place where I'm selling low, and I'm not as discouraged as others are because I, I, I'm too much of an ardent believer in DJ Moore. I have a lot of conviction in his ability, and I'm not ready to call him a bust. Not yet. Not yet. Observation number five. No. Oh, <laughs> not so fast, Podfather. You can't skip takeaway number four. We're not gonna, I almost skipped number five. We can't skip takeaway number four. I would never, no, I would never rob the audience of a takeaway, especially one this good. Zero RB teams who missed on Mike Davis are completely fucked. They're, they're fucked. They're fucked. And I just fucked myself on YouTube. I just lost all my abilities to monetize the show on YouTube. Oh no, I did it again. I keep doing this. Damn it. Fuck you, YouTube. Let's check in on the zero RB roster, shall we? Uh, Michael Thomas. He's out. Devontae Adams out. Julio Jones bust. Chris Godwin out. DJ Moore so far is a bust. Probably a bust. I guess if you drafted Adam Thielen in round three, maybe you're feeling good. Maybe. No, no. And what about those handcuffs that you overdrafted, right? The zero RB drafters with the uh, Alexander Madison, uh, seven touches. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, six touches. Tony Pollard, four touches, right? So, <laughs> And remember, robust RB didn't preclude you from drafting running backs late. And the running backs that we were pounding late are Chase Edmonds and Joshua Kelly and Jarek McKinnon! Jarek McKinnon is going to be comeback player of the year. I don't know which takeaway this is. Probably takeaway five. I'll give you bonus takeaways because I've now lost track of how many takeaways. But Jarek McKinnon, comeback player of the year. And there's no coming back from zero RB if you didn't get Mike Davis. The problem with zero RB teams is they also didn't draft Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley because zero means zero. So they were drafting uh, Michael Thomas in the first round and... Those that drafted Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley were the ones most aggressively pursuing Mike Davis, so the zero RB teams likely don't have any Mike Davis. <laughs> They're fucked. <laughs> bye bye You're 0-4, right? I mean, maybe you had Ronald Jones. Maybe, maybe you're 1-3 with this Ronald Jones. You had a good week from Ronald Jones, except Ronald Jones, we'll talk about him in a little bit too, did the absolute least with the most routes and targets that a running back could possibly command, and Ronald Jones did the absolute least. So he gave you the bare minimum, right? He should have smashed, and he gave you just that he did. He did well enough, right? Low, just low-end RB1 performance could have smashed. Could have been a top-five running back this week. Should have been a top-five running back this week, given the opportunity and the game situation, and he's just Ronald Jones. That's just what he does. So we had a, a damn-it Ronald Jones week. Even though he scored 20-plus fantasy points, how is that possible? Only Ronald Jones can make that possible. We'll talk about him later. We're going we're gonna to talk about him later. But yes, we are trending wrong about DJ Moore. If you're just looking at, hey, 
How accurate were your projections? DJ Moore is looking like a miss for player profiler, but, 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 so many hits, so many hits, because it's not just the right draft strategy, right? You could, the right draft strategy is important, but you need to pair the right draft strategy with the right players. Look at Allen Robinson. He's going to be a top wide receiver in fantasy football this season, right? It's going to be Allen Robinson, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to be, who's going to get it? I don't know. Adam Thielen's coming. Oh, watch out for Adam Thielen. Oh, Hopkins. Oh, oh, Robinson. Oh, Hopkins. Oh, down the stretch they come. He's playing like a top fantasy receiver. We had him ranked number 22 overall in PPR on the world famous, in quotes, draft kit. Don't forget. Few were as bullish on Allen Robinson and Amari Cooper, who we had ranked number 25. So there, there were absolutely instances where you would draft a wide receiver in round three, and that was Allen Robinson and that was Amari Cooper. And it's reflected in my underdog best ball teams. And recall, in the second round, we had Aaron Jones over Eckler, over Kenyon Drake, and over Josh Jacobs, especially Kenyon Drake especially Kenyon Drake. Observation number six, seven, eight. Kenyon Drake is who we thought he was. He was bad in an Alabama uniform. He was bad in a Miami uniform. And now he's bad in an Arizona uniform. He's just been bad. He's been outproduced this year by Chase Edmonds on a fraction of the touches. So why isn't Chase Edmonds the starter? I don't know. I don't know. I told this. I insisted. Nate, Liss, listen, you need to respect... This man named Chase Edmonds, he is better than Kenyon Drake, period. In a vacuum, if I were starting a franchise today, I would rather have Chase Edmonds than Kenyon Drake. And Nate Liss chuckled, and Nate Liss was wrong. On that draft kit, looking at it right now, we also had a Joe Mixon over Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams and Nick Chubb. Ding, 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 ding. And I know, I know that you all want a Joe Mixon dance party. I've, I've heard about it. Expecting it, Joe Mixon dance party would be fun. Jarek McKinnon dance party would be fun. But I just think if a guy is a first-round pick and he doesn't produce until week four, even though he's the number one running back in fantasy this week, even if he was the number one running back, if you're drafted in the first round, you're expecting Joe Mixon to produce the amount of fantasy points that he's produced thus far. He's not yet even exceeded expectations on the season, so I don't believe it's appropriate to have a dance party, but we can do a breakout alert! Well, I'm happy to do a breakout alert! Breakout alert on Joe Mixon! The other running backs we were targeting heavily in robust RB drafts, Jonathan Taylor and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, over 100 yards and two touchdowns. I am... More concerned about Jonathan Taylor. We'll talk about him in a little bit. We also had James Conner ranked ahead of David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell. So we had the fresher, juicier running backs ranked ahead of the dusty running backs. So we did that right as well. We also had wide receivers like Devontae Parker ranked way ahead of consensus. A full two rounds ahead of consensus. Antonio Gibson, we had ranked number 52 overall ahead of Zach Ertz, ahead of Cortland Sutton, and a number of other wide receivers that are being drafted in that zone. And look at where we had Dak Prescott. We had Dak Prescott nestled in this special tier all to himself between Mahomes and Russell Wilson. 35 spots ahead of Kyler Murray. 35 spots ahead of Kyler Murray. Because Patrick Murphy tweeted it. At the FF King on Twitter, I retweeted it. At Fantasy underscore Mansion, I retweeted it. That in 2018, we had Patrick Mahomes 
In 2019, we had Lamar Jackson. And in 2020, we've got Dak Prescott. That's observation number seven, eight, nine. A lot of takeaways. I think it's really the top 15 takeaways. We're going we're gonna to get through about 15 takeaways. Takeaway number eight, nine, ten. How on earth? And I might as well say it because YouTube is already demonetizing this show. How the fuck are you not yet subscribed to playerprofiler.com? Just given what I laid out, how we aced the draft kit, how are you not subscribed to playerprofiler.com? If you subscribe to playerprofiler.com or you support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather, guess what? Guess what? We send out the plays of the week email and we believed Joe Mixon to be a strong cash play this week and thought he would be chalk. Like I thought, you heard me on the big tilt. I thought Joe Mixon would be the chalk, not Mike Davis, same price. It's like, how could you play Mike Davis over Joe Mixon? How? You can't. They might get similar opportunities, but Joe Mixon's actually really good. Now, I was wrong about Mike Davis. Mike Davis is not a cardboard cutout running back. I believe he's better than that. I do not think he's replacement level. I will take the L on calling Mike Davis a 28-year-old journeyman that offers nothing special in that Carolina backfield. I think that he is an above-average talent. I did not think that a week ago. But if you do go back to playerprofiler.com, 11-18, percentile agility score at 5-9-217. So he has an ultra-high BMI, 32.0 BMI, with feature back size, an incredible size-adjusted agility. And now that he's commanded five-plus targets in three consecutive games, you have to officially call him a quality receiver out of the backfield. It You can't do that. You can't command the target share, and the receiving efficiency, deliver the receiving efficiency that Mike Davis has delivered thus far without being a good receiver. Give me the L on Mike Davis. Kind of. Because really, the the premise was, are you going Mike Davis or Joe Mixon? And I insisted you get to go Joe Mixon because he has such a higher ceiling, which was true. So I was right and wrong. Right and wrong. I'll take like a squiggly L. I'll take a, a lowercase L. How about a lowercase L? Lowercase L is just a one, really. So I'll take that. This is from our Plays of the Week email. It's as follows. We laid out the case for buying low on Joe Mixon on this week's Top 10 Takeaways show. Remember last week? It is simply too early to panic after he posted a 78% opportunity share, number six among NFL running backs, and 45 weighted opportunities, number 10 among NFL running backs, against three wicked front sevens in weeks one through three. Mixon's 5.8K salary on DraftKings should be chalky as Cincinnati hosts Jacksonville this week. I thought it'd be chalk. Anything but. Anything but. He was only 3.8% owned in the Millie Maker. Can you believe that? That's laughable. Camara, 50% owned. Mixon, 3.8. This is why. This is why our lineups on the DFS lineup genius consistently make money. We did it again this week. Even though we ran into the worst luck that I could possibly draw. Like the luck that we ran into this week. And it's not injury luck. Yes, we had some Austin Eckler and he got injured. And the unlucky result happened because we had an incredible number of Odell Beckham Jr. lineups. We maxed out our number of Odell Beckham Jr. lineups. We were as overweight as possible on Odell Beckham Jr. and Joe Mixon. However, 
And this is just improbable. This is the improbable bad luck that just happens. This is why you just keep playing week in, week out. I didn't realize we were going to win thousands of dollars in week two. I didn't see that coming. I was pleasantly surprised in week two. Oh, we finished top 10 in the Millie Maker. Wow, I guess I didn't realize. Week four was different. Week four, I was like, oh my God, we're, 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 we're killing it. We're killing it. We're killing it. And I, and, I, and I called Josh Larkey, my partner in crime with this DFS lineup genius. And I'm like, oh my God, we got Mixon. We got Odell Beckham. Oh my God. He's like, I have bad news for you. I was like, what? They're in alternate lineups. We don't have lineups with Mixon and OBJ. They're either... Mixing lineups or there's OBJ lineups for some reason, just the way the players got shuffled and, and, and dealt, it just didn't line up where you had Mixon and OBJ in the same lineup. And I'm like, no way. And I, I was just scrolling through. I, I, I was like, I, my, my mouth was agape. I was like, this, what? How? I mean, we still went over 180 points in two lineups, right? We had a lineup with Baker Mayfield with Kamara, Hunt, Fuller, Beckham, Lamb, Hawkinson, Ronald Jones and the Buccaneers defense that crested 180. And then we had a DAC lineup that had Austin Eckler and Adam Troutman and didn't have Mixon. But of course, we were running it back with Beckham in that lineup. It was Prescott, Cooper, Beckham, Lamb. It was a great lineup. It, it, it just no Mixon. So we're trying to get exposure to both the shootouts. We, we were right. We were right. We got the shootouts right. Tampa and Los Angeles shot way over. Cleveland, Dallas shot way over, and that's where we had exposure, but just didn't quite line up. Variance, right? Sometimes you eat the variance, sometimes the variance eats you. <laughs> we got eaten by the variance, baby. It sucked. And a big takeaway from the first four weeks, DFS, and this is the data telling us a story. And one of my good friends is a... Super smart guy, and he he does advanced data work every day. And one time we were sitting down, and I was asking him, "Hey, what about what about this? What about that? We should test this. We should test that. You know, the predictability of this, the predictability." He said, "Listen, man, just just chill. Let's let the data tell us. The data will tell us. Just listen to the data. The data will tell you what to do. Let's listen to the data. Don't try to jam your assumptions into this model. Let's let the data tell the story." And, and drive the model. I said, okay, okay, geez, okay, okay. And interesting takeaway. Through four weeks, we now have a meaningful amount of data that, that, you know, week three, week four, you start getting into a place where you can really start to take action on the data that you're, you're capturing and gathering from the season. You're going to start to see more lineups in tournaments with four receivers because these games continue to shoot out. It wasn't the bloodbath for the overs that it could have been. It could have been worse. But what we're seeing is games we want exposure to. We know there's going to be points scored, and yet there's not enough slots unless you use a flex for a wide receiver. Because there are games where you want to double stack. Like you want to stack up Tampa Chargers. You wanted to stack up Dallas Cleveland. Right, but just, we didn't have enough wide receiver slots unless you wanted to devote it, the flex to wide receiver. Oh, you want Beckham? You want Lamb? Oh, you want Keenan Allen? You want Mike Mike Evans? You can't you can't fit four wide receivers unless you devote the flex position to a wide receiver, because we keep seeing week in week out. Austin Eckler goes down. Josh Jacobs disappoints. Kenyon Drake 
Kenyon Drake is who we thought he was. A satellite back that can't catch coming out of Alabama. Now he's a pumped up satellite back that can't catch. He walked into some lucky game situations and run blocking in 2019, but it was a small sample trap. Kenyon Drake was a quintessential small sample trap, and I told you so. Told you not to draft him. Going through all my rosters, seasonal, dynasty, best ball, underdog, my fantasy league, FFPC. You know how much Kenyon Drake the Podfather has rostered? Wonder how, much, how much Kenyon Drake do you think I have? How much Kenyon Drake have I ever had in my entire time in this business? Since Kenyon Drake entered the NFL, here's how much Kenyon Drake I have rostered. None. None. Why would I? He's overrated. So the only way to get more exposure to these games where we believe there will be prolific passing production specifically and to hedge some of the risk that we are experiencing with these bust weeks from the running backs where even Ronald Jones didn't deliver. Like I have Ronald Jones in one of these lineups that that was so close and yet he had plenty of opportunities and he could have done so much more with those touches and it's it's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. And so you, you swap out those 21 points from Ronald Jones and you could go over 30 with a receiver that's you know smashing past 100 yards. You get the bonus on DraftKings. You get a touchdown. I'd rather have Mike Evans in there. I'd rather have a DK Metcalf in there. Pfft. Rather have Keenan Allen. Look what Keenan Allen's been doing. Keenan Allen has a 38% target share with Justin Herbert. Now, this is the law of the conservation of targets. There's no Mike Williams, so the targets will funnel to Keenan Allen, but they are funneling to Keenan Allen in an extreme way. 38%. You're going to want to play Keenan Allen now without Austin Eckler? It's like, oh, Joshua Kelly breakout! Joshua Kelly season! It's Joshua Kelly season, right? Well, that's true. It's Joshua Kelly season, though he did fumble twice. Now, I don't know. This is takeaway 14 at this point. So it's Joshua Kelly season, but he did fumble twice. So I'm worried that it's not going to be Joshua Kelly only. I think it's going to be much more of an even distribution of touches in that backfield between Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson. If he had not fumbled twice, I would be more confident. But the fact that Justin Jackson's skill set fits nicely hand in glove into what Austin Eckler was able to do in Los Angeles and the two fumbles together suggests that I think it's going to be closer to a 55-45 distribution than it is, say, 70-30. I'd love to see 70-30. Then it would be, I mean, bananas. But I'm tempering expectations on Joshua Kelly. I'm not running out to best-case scenario yet, but I'm excited, and it's a great time to be alive because we love Joshua Kelly. And we picked the right shootout that showed, that actually was a shootout last week in Tampa, Los Angeles, and you're welcome all five of the more thans hit the the recommendation I gave you the 20x recommendation on Monkey Knife Fight on Friday. Herbert, Brady, Jones, Evans, and Allen all over. We were fortunate. It was very lucky. There were some air. I was. We were unlucky that our lineups with OBJ did not line up with our lineups with Mixon. That was bad luck. But it was good luck that we didn't have any Eckler on the Monkey Knife Fight five for five slate. For that Buccaneers Chargers game, there's somehow there just wasn't Eckler. He wasn't there. I was like, wow, okay. I thought we lost it. And then I was like, well, no, we hit five for five. We hit five for five. A monkey knife fight. 
Even when I'm high, I'm the best. That's the takeaway. That's yet another, I don't know how many takeaways. That's takeaway 17, 18. Takeaway 19. Jonathan Taylor is a Nick Chubb after all. Jonathan Taylor routes run since his six-target game in week one. Week two, 17 routes. Okay, so good. Week three, 10 routes. Not, not good. Week four, routes run for Jonathan Taylor. Eight. See, that's not good. That I, that I don't like. So we have been celebrating, perhaps prematurely, <laughs> getting all that uh, Jonathan Taylor in the third round. Now, a lot of, lot of landmines, you know, we're saying, hey, you get Allen Robinson, you get Jonathan Taylor, you're good. And that was good. That was good. I just wish Jonathan Taylor was better. He should be better, and he's looking like Nick Chubb. Not in the greatest way. We love Nick Chubb, but Nick Chubb not active in the passing game, never has been, never will be, and it, I'm worried that that, that six-target game may be a career high for Jonathan Taylor for years. He's no Mike Davis. Yes, the takeaway 17, Jonathan Taylor is no Mike Davis. That is depressing. And Cam Akers is a screaming by low right now because I know that it's disappointing to see Malcolm Brown, who actually is a cardboard cutout running back. I... I apologize for besmirching the good name of Mike Davis and disparaging him by calling him a cardboard cutout running back. He is not. Malcolm Brown is, though. Malcolm Brown, I don't take that back. He is. I know he's getting 22 routes run to Darrell Henderson's six. Right? He's, he's almost quadrupling Darrell Henderson's routes run. Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown, right? But what do we know about Cam Akers? Big, fast, elusive, and excellent in the passing game. Better than Malcolm Brown in every way. And recall that heading into week two, Cam Akers was named the starter, and he got all the running back touches in the first quarter before he got hurt. So I believe that this is actually good news. The positive spin on this egregious Malcolm Brown usage over Darrell Henderson is that it paves the way for Cam Akers to return to a primary back role right away. To be a bell cow as early as this year, Cam Akers, buy low. Final takeaway. Takeaway number 19. I guess this is the top 19 takeaways, right? Top 19 takeaways. That's good, right? That's a good That's good value on your fantasy show. I, I, I sell 10 takeaways, and then I deliver 19 takeaways? How good is that, man? On Sunday, the Tampa backfield. You knew I was going. I, I teased it. I believe the usage, especially in the fourth quarter, that Tampa backfield marks the end of the road for Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones and LaShawn McCoy, because LaShawn McCoy, is, he's over again. Like, it's the end of the road for LaShawn McCoy again, but also Ronald Jones. In a week where he went over 100 yards and scored 20-plus fantasy points, he was a catastrophic failure. 20 carries, 24 routes run, 9 targets, only 20 fantasy points. How is that possible? How is that possible? Only .71 Yards per route run. He had nine targets. They were giving Ronald Jones up. They said, listen, right? Beat us with Ronald Jones, Buccaneers, right? We're going to cover Mike Evans the best we can, these tight ends, but you get, you're going to have to beat us with Ronald Jones. So Brady said, okay, I'll, I'll target Ronald Jones nine times. And on 24 routes and nine targets, Ronald Jones delivers a total of 17 receiving yards. 17 receiving yards. And I think that... That marks the end of Ronald Jones. I think that Leonard Fournette will be back sooner rather than later. He needs to get paid. He's in a contract year. 
And I don't believe that Ronald Jones can hold him back. And I also don't believe that Ronald Jones can hold back Keyshawn Vaughn because the Buccaneers fourth quarter snap breakdown in the backfield was as follows. Ronald Jones, 13 snaps. This was after LaShawn McCoy went hurt. I know he got hurt. Okay. I know LaShawn McCoy went down, but it was just a matter of time. But LaShawn McCoy has had 27 lower body injuries the last three years. He, he's dust. It's over. Of course he was going to get hurt in this game. He was supposed to get hurt in every game. It, it was never going to happen for LaShawn McCoy. He's dust. He's done. He's washed. It's over. Like, oh, he got hurt. That's the reason. That's not the, what do you mean that's the reason? It was inevitable. LaShawn McCoy would be flush out of the league again this year. Ronald Jones, 13 snaps. Keyshawn Vaughn, 12 snaps. That's why you kept looking up in the fourth quarter. And there's Keyshawn Vaughn in the backfield. Like, where's Ronald Jones? Where's 27? He's not there. Keyshawn Vaughn. And it's a reminder that drafting Leonard Fournette was great process. That Leonard Fournette could only be undone by an injury. Like, okay, he got injured. Just so did Christian McCaffrey. Was drafting Christian McCaffrey at the 101 bad process? No. Was drafting Saquon Barkley bad process? Over Alvin Kamara, arguably, right? Drafting Ezekiel Elliott over Alvin Kamara was questionable, especially in PPR leagues, because it is so difficult. And we talked about this. I'm going to recycle an existing takeaway. It is so difficult. It, it, it is almost an exercise in futility to project running back targets. Look at Mike Davis. I mean, how would you know? I mean, how, how could you think that Mike Davis at this point in the season would have quadrupled Kenyon Drake's targets? Like, how, how, who would think? How could you think? How? How, how, how is it even possible? I, I don't know. I don't know. How it's, it, it's happening. I don't know how it's possible. It's happening. But because that is true, that you must put a super premium on the handful of running backs that we know over the course of multiple seasons have been 100 target per season target hogs, right? The true target magnets are so valuable and so difficult to find. It is McCaffrey and Barkley and Kamara. And we thought it was Austin Eckler. Oh, it actually wasn't. Tricked, right? You think it's this? Nope. You think it's no, but what? No, no, Mike Davis. No, it's actually Mike Davis. That's the answer. You thought you, you, you had all these ideas for all these running backs that might catch a lot of passes. Uh, we told you there was actually Jarek McKinnon in the double digit rounds will exceed expectations, especially in the passing game. That was the recommendation. So maybe everyone but us struggles, right? Maybe it's a futile exercise for everyone but us, right? But even for it's just hard, it's very difficult. It is. A monumental task to try to go out and find the running back that's going to finish top five in the league in running back targets who has not, in his history, put up multiple 100 target seasons. But that is why you needed to draft Kamara at either the 102 or 103. It's that principle. The difficulty in projecting and acquiring, capturing running back targets is why we as an industry were just a slot or two too low on Alvin Kamara. Is that observation number 21? I don't know where we're at now. But it was also a good process acquiring Leonard Fournette in the third and fourth round because he has a yards per carry north of 5.0. So he's been an efficient runner thus far. And if he were not traded, because that was the, the it was either, oh, well, he could get cut. That's unlikely, but possible. More likely, he stays in Jacksonville, but because they're a tanking franchise, he will likely 
underperform expectations on Jacksonville behind one of the league's worst offensive lines on what is ostensibly a bad offense. And then a funny thing happened this year. Exactly what I predicted with this Jacksonville offense is happening, that the passing game is more efficient and it's helping to buoy the entire offense. And not only that, in addition, the offensive line has been more efficient. The offensive line has taken a major step forward this year, both in the Jacksonville range of outcomes and both things that the pod father predicted this summer. And so James Robinson is proof that the Leonard Fournette pre-draft process was correct. James Robinson has close to 350 all-purpose yards and is an RB1 in fantasy. And he proves that drafting Leonard Fournette was the right move all along. Kenyon Drake is who we thought he was!